So aren't these kids adorable? Yeah. Yep. And, and besides that, you get a break from Ezekiel. Just kidding, just kidding. No, it, we're, having a, we're having a good time in here. Uh, my son just got uh, safely back from a road trip, um, and it brought back memories. So he went with some friends uh, to Wyoming uh, and back. You know, it's snowing this time of year. And it made me think, I was just his age, and I took a, uh, a road trip to uh, Washington, to Seattle, from San Diego for a weekend wedding uh, in December. And uh, not recommended to drive that far for a weekend wedding in December. Um, we, our plan was just to drive through the night, um, and it looked kind of like this, um, and, uh, and through the day, etc., to get there from San Diego. Well, somewhere in Northern California, um, in my brand new Suzuki Samurai, uh, the road was icy, and it was the middle of the night, and I slid on some ice and spun around and hit one side of the I-5 median, and then spun around and hit the other side, and was uh, in total panic, but, you know, we looked at UK, UK, yeah, and uh, my dad was in the car ahead of us, and he came back, and the car was mostly fine. We just uh, hooked a chain to the front and yanked the bumper out a little bit so it didn't drag on the wheel. You're like, okay, we're good to go. Let's go to Washington. So got back in, and uh, we went through Oregon, and you just kept driving, and now it started, you know, the twilight, so the next morning in Washington, and uh, going down I-5 still, you know, it goes all the way to Canada. And, uh, and it was icy, apparently, on the road, so I, speed limit's like 65. I was maybe going 40. A gust of wind, it doesn't take much for a Suzuki Samurai, just, and we just start sliding. There's nothing you could do. You might as well, you know, let go of the steering wheel, go take a nap in the back, because there's nothing you could do. You're just sliding. And slid off the road, and right over the front, rolled the Samurai. Um, My brother and I are both in there, and we'd switched uh, passengers a few times in between, but now he was back with me again. And his words were, as we're sliding, is, not again. So we, we rolled this car, was just a mess, and we're upside down, hanging in seat belts, and you okay? Yeah, you okay? And uh, we let ourselves out, and then worked on, uh, on pushing it back over, which, which we, we did. About this time, uh, a helpful uh, trooper uh, pulled up, and it was just starting to snow, so he summoned us over, or he summoned me over, and had me sit in the back of the patrol car, while he got my information, and I, I assume this was an accident report. And after that conversation, uh, what he was doing was writing me a ticket. And I'm like, for you know, for what? If we're crashing, I didn't you know damage anybody else's property, although I I destroyed my new car, and uh, no injuries, you know, no real injuries. Um, but uh, apparently, I was getting a ticket for that. And uh, he says, in Washington, there are no acts of God. You know, if something happens, it's somebody's fault. And I wanted to blame it on the wind or the ice or the top-heavy samurai or a number of other things. But uh, here's the lesson I learned that day, is that just because I don't think it's my fault doesn't mean I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I got to pay for, for crashing my car in more ways than one. So was really happy uh, to hear that Caleb made it safely back. So his, his road trip was a different experience than mine. But I tell you this story because uh, 
Because this is true in all areas of life, is just because I don't think it's my fault doesn't mean I don't have to pay for it. And sometimes when life is really hard or it's, it's kind of a mess or maybe our inner world is, is you know, unraveling and falling apart, we always want someone else to blame. You know, blame it on the wind or the ice or the weather or whatever it might be. And we shirk responsibility for um, our own actions, our own habits, our own lifestyle. And, man, we just want to pin that on somebody else. Well, I'm this way because uh, my dad, such and such. I... This, I'm, I just, I'm angry all the time because of who is or isn't in office. I'm grumpy because of the weather. That's why I'm just a cranky person. It's the weather. If siblings have a fight, it's always, well, he started it. There's an office affair. It's like, she started it. Whatever it is, we want to pin the blame on somebody else, parents, society, the government. We even want to blame God for the things that really squarely fall on our own shoulders. So here is our main thought for the day that we really need to grasp, and and Ezekiel helps us do this, and it's this. If you're following along in the notes, God only holds you responsible for you. Well, this is a great relief and a great responsibility, depending, you know, where you fall on this. It means that God doesn't hold you responsible for somebody else, but it also means he doesn't hold somebody else responsible for you. So Ezekiel, the prophet, he was speaking to uh, these exiles, as we've talked about. They're, they're away from their land. They're in Babylon. They see uh, their city, the holy city of Jerusalem, uh, about to come to ruin, and they rightly understood that that impending ruin uh, was judgment from God. But what they did not Uh, fess up to is that it was their fault. They wanted to put that back on God. And so there's all this blame shifting going on, and Ezekiel uh, spends a few chapters clarifying who is responsible for what. And I think it's really helpful for all of us because it's a universal tendency to try to pass uh, the buck. So this morning we'll look at what is and what isn't uh, your responsibility. And we'll be in Ezekiel chapters. Uh, 18 to 21. Four big chapters. We won't uh, really get to the last one very much. Uh, this starts on page 705 in those Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one somewhere in front of you there. And it starts off like this in verse 1 of chapter 18 of Ezekiel. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Well, it's kind of a weird little proverb. Apparently, it was a very popular thing to say because uh, the prophet Jeremiah also referred to this same proverb. They're saying, the fathers ate sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge, Uh, which basically means we're getting punished for something our ancestors did. Our fathers, our forefathers... They did these things, and now we have to pay for them. This is not fair. This is not my fault. God is not fair. I don't know if this sounds familiar. And God's response is essentially, uh, you are only being judged for what you're doing. 
that's kind of the gist of this whole section. Verse 4, God says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine, and the soul who sins shall die. This, this phrase is basically saying, God only holds you responsible for you. <laughs> but there's, before we get into this very far, there's a couple uh, really important clarifications or distinctions because I think there's ways that this passage can be, can be misunderstood, and I want to be careful that we don't go down uh, that route. Uh, first distinction is temporal versus eternal judgment. Well, this passage is talking about temporal judgment, something that happens in this life. This is specifically talking about a scenario where a group of people, uh, uh, their city was going to be destroyed, and people were either going to die or be, be captured. This was going to happen. It was impending. And it's a little confusing, I think, in like the ESV uh, might even capture this whole section of saying the, the soul who sins shall die or something like that, and translates it soul. Uh, NIV says the one who sins, or Holman Christian says the person who sins. It basically means the, the life of that individual. It, it's not talking about any, an eternal destiny in that sense. Well, kind of as an aside, it, actually the Hebrew mind didn't even really think in those kind of terms. Once we get to the New Testament and in the, in the Greek world and, and we, we have more revelation from God, we start to see this real picture of eternity. Um, but here, he's just basically saying, uh, your city's going to fall because of you. <laughs> so we're not talking about eternal judgment. The second distinction I think that's real important that we get straightened out is the difference between judgment and the ongoing residual consequences of sin or of life. So we've heard before in the Bible, before this time, uh, phrases such as the sins of the fathers are passed to the generations. Um, we, we see this in our own lives where things that have happened before us, things in our own families or things in our own culture, things in the world, uh, we are kind of paying for what somebody else did. Uh, we've, we experience that. That is the residual consequences of a fallen world uh, of sinfulness around us. We all experience the pain of that. That is not God's judgment against you. This passage, we're talking about God uh, setting his face against people because of their rejection of him. So, in other words, God only holds you responsible for you. Again, that's our main, our main thought. Or you could say it another way, how to be sure God's hand is not against you. Because I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to be sure of that. So Ezekiel in chapter eighteen, he gives these hypothetical scenarios to make this first point, which sounds a lot like our main point. That's this: you are only responsible to God for yourself. And so in verse five, he says, "If if a man, I suppose, there's a man, he's righteous and he does what is just and he does what is right, then he goes on to describe this kind of." ultimate covenant-keeping Israelite. Uh, He avoids idolatry. He avoids sexual impurity. uh, He's compassionate. He's generous. He's just. He's fair. He's faithful to the covenant. He's like, suppose there's a person like that. He's like super Israelite. And verse 9, it says, he's righteous and he will surely live, declares the Lord. God's not, not against him. But his son is rotten. 
Verse 10, if he fathers a son who is violent and a shedder of blood and who does all these things, he's an idolater, he's adulterer, he's oppressive, all these things. Verse 13 says about the son that his blood shall be on himself. And so, in other words, the son will incur God's judgment regardless of his father's righteousness. So we can, we can track with that, especially in our, our hyper-individualistic uh, personal culture. We, we can track with this very well. Yeah, the son shouldn't have to pay for the father. Good, good, good. And then he gets kind of the flip side when he introduces the grandson in verse 14. He says, well, now suppose this man, the, the rotten son, suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father's done, he sees and does not do likewise. And skipping down to verse 17, he shall not die for his father's iniquity. Instead, he shall surely live. So the point is that you are only responsible to God for you. (laughs) You may reap the residual blessings and the residual consequences sown by your parents, but God is not against you for anything done in a previous generation. Uh, That's a relief because I have uh, enough uh, of my own without bringing in uh, my parents and grandparents. And here's the interesting thing, is you are also not responsible for your kids or your grandkids. I hope that you can breathe a little bit of sigh of relief, and I want to clarify here. Are you responsible to train up your kids to follow the Lord? Yeah, we have, we have that responsibility. Are you responsible to, to pass on the faith? to be a a good example to your kids? Yeah, yeah, you're responsible to do those things. Are you responsible for whether or not your kids embrace the faith that you have? No. God does not hold you responsible for that. Now, the sigh of relief to anybody? You are responsible to train, you're responsible to pass on the faith, you're responsible to be a good example, but you're not responsible for whether your children and grandchildren embrace your faith. God doesn't set himself against you for anything your parents did or didn't do, for anything your kids do or don't do. And then there's a summary in verse 20. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. In other words, you're only responsible to God for yourself. So again, this should be either very freeing or very frightening, (laughs) depending on our disposition toward God. So not only are you only responsible for you, but you're only responsible for right now. Or you could say, you are only responsible to God for this moment. And Ezekiel gives two more scenarios. The first one is about a very wicked person who has this change of heart and turns to God. Verse 21 says, But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he's committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is right and just, he shall surely live. So again, in this context, surely live means uh, safe from God's judgment. You may Again, experience the residual effects of past wrongs from your own life, but God's face still shines 
on you. God is, is for you. God is, you might say, pleased with you. No matter your past, when you turn to God, he eagerly turns to you. What a blessing that is. Verse 23 says, uh, this is God speaking, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, no, I don't have any pleasure in that, declares the Lord God. And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. So we might say the reason for God's display of judgment is the reason, the same reason as his display of compassion is to draw us toward him. And he very much prefers uh, the compassion. He's told us right here. So then we see this flip side in scenario number two where a righteous person turns to wickedness. Verse, uh, let's see, verse 24. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? And the answer is uh, no. He'll be under God's judgment. Your previous uh, righteousness does not give you a pass. Like, oh, I've got all this credit now, now I can do whatever I want. Um, it also doesn't work like this big scale. Like, well, in the end, I just hope that the good is more than the bad. It, it just doesn't work that way with God. He holds you responsible for this moment. Another clarification. <laughs> uh, we are not, remember, addressing the eternal state here. Uh, this is not even a conversation about uh, the topic of eternal security. Uh, we're talking about uh, the judgment of, uh, of Jerusalem because of the ongoing rebellion of, of the people. Um, it's not about your position with God. If you are a child of God, you are justified. You are, in God's books, declared righteous because of Jesus. It's a wonderful place to be. You are not under condemnation, but his disposition is more what this is about. You can grieve God. You can, you can by, your, by your willful disobedience to, to what God's revealed, uh, it's as if God's hand is against you in order to bring you back to himself. That's a place we don't want to be. <laughs> with his hand against us. He, he chastens those that he, he loves. Let's go back to the parenting thing again, because I think there's a handful of us that could relate here. Um, as a parent, I, I'm not asking for a raise of hands right now, but just like think about this. Do you ever feel that you blew it? Do you ever feel like maybe sometimes you were a bad example to your kids? Do you ever feel like maybe uh, you were not as intentional as you wish you were about spiritual things when the kids were in their formative years? Do you wish you were more present for your kids? Well, now you blame yourself for the things maybe your kids or grandkids uh, are doing now and what they're doing with uh, the faith. Here is, I hope, good news for you. God is not judging you for anything that you did or didn't do. Only for what you are doing. <laughs> you may see the ongoing effects, but God's disposition towards you is independent of your past. God's not angry with you because you messed up your kids. 
He's not angry with you because you messed up your marriage, because you messed up your life. But if you're currently operating in unrighteousness in those relationships, his intense love and interest in you uh, demands that he respond. And so he does. So you're only responsible for yourself, and you're only responsible for this moment. What are you going to do uh, today? Don't just take the whole burden of your past and try to sort that out. Will you, will you turn to God today? Because he's holding you accountable for this moment. Well, the next verse is 25 to 29. There's kind of a summary. The people say, it's not my fault. God's not fair. And God says, well, it actually is your fault. And you're right, I'm not fair. I'm more than fair. Verse 29, yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord, it's not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? And once you sort out all the double and triple negatives in that sentence, you realize what's saying is, no, God is just, and it's, uh, it's us that's the problem. So then we turn to uh, chapter 19, one of our favorite uh, scapegoats when we like to cast blame somewhere, and, uh, and that is the government. It's just like a, an easy, uh, fun target. So the question that, that comes up is, uh, are people in power responsible to God? The answer is, is yes, they are. And so chapter 19 of Ezekiel is kind of a curious little chapter where uh, Ezekiel presents this poetic uh, funeral dirge um, it's about the, the death of David's dynasty is basically what it's about. The, the, the ruin of the last failing kings of Judah. Uh, it's, it's kind of a funeral lament for them. Um, and it says basically the first half, it says, Your mother is like a lioness with two young lions. These two young lions are the kings Jehoahaz and Jehoachin. Uh, they get caught in a pit they get caught with nets. They get hooked with hooks. Then the last part says, your mother's like a vine that gets uprooted and dropped in the desert and has this shoot, King Zedekiah, that gets all burned up. So it's kind of this strange mashup of a, of a funeral song and, uh, and your mother insults. It's kind of twisted together. And uh, the whole point of it is, uh, you're responsible for you, but the government is also responsible to God. Those in leadership, yeah, they are responsible for God. Uh, but you are still responsible for you. So if, uh, if the king uh, uh, leads the way in doing evil, does that mean we get a pass to do evil? No. If the king legalizes things that God says no, do we get a pass to just, okay, we're going to do these things, that's what the law of the land says? No. And on and on you can go and you can see, oh, Leaders are held responsible, but that doesn't mean that we could just cast all the responsibility onto them because you're still responsible before God. Okay, then chapter 20. We're cruising along here. Hang on tight. This is our other favorite uh, way to shirk is just say, uh, well, it's, it's society's problem. Uh, is society responsible to God? Yeah. Society is responsible to God. 
uh, we're just going to kind of highlight some things in this chapter. Verse 1 says, this is like this new message. He gives a new date and etc. It says, in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the message, uh, is, this message following is a response to those leaders inquiring of God. It, it seems like what's happening is these elders of the exiles, uh, they are coming to uh, the prophet and saying, hey, you need to, uh, since you have this in with God, uh, can God uh, give us some insight on these things that are happening? Um, we know that we are God's special people, and we are one nation under God. We're untouchable, but then we see Jerusalem, you know, in a chaos. So how is this all going to uh, work out? And, uh, and here's the response, verse 3. A son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, is it to inquire of me that you've come? Like, you have the audacity when you're rejecting me to to now come and ask things of me? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? And then here is the main part. Let them know the abominations of their fathers. Let them know the abominations of their fathers. The, the only divine insight that they're going to get is a little uh, history lesson about the record of of their, their special people. Um, and so verses 5 to about 29, we see this survey of Israel's history. We were, we were just talking about this this morning in, in Judges, how we see this pattern of, of, uh, of unfaithfulness of God's people and then the faithfulness of God for his own name's sake. And we see this pattern happen again and again and again. See, God rescues they reject him and embrace wickedness. God corrects graciously and spares them for the sake of his name, and on and on and on. So I think the point is this. You cling to the idea that you're a special people, a society of chosen ones, but the time for judgment is near. The holy city will fall. As That's been the main question in this whole, um, this whole part of the book. I think we can be certain of this. If God let Israel, the line, of, the line of Judah, come to ruin, certainly he will hold other nations accountable for where they go. So is society, our societies, our cultures, our nations, our people groups responsible to God? Yeah, yeah, we, we are. Collectively responsible to God. Uh, we see many biblical examples of, of God actually just um, eradicating or bringing to fall, bringing to ruin a group, of, a group of people because of their total rejection of God. And some of those were never re- rebuilt. Uh, this is fascinating, a little quote by Thomas Jefferson. You might be familiar with this when he says, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. Tremble indeed. God holds whole societies accountable, but this does not negate personal responsibility. Verse 30. Uh, Therefore say this to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things? So if you are here last week, the, 
the whoring word is uh, not a shock to you because last passage was all about that. So, but if you weren't here, that might strike you as a shocker, which I think it's supposed to by Ezekiel. Uh, basically, he's saying this. You are not uh, reaping all this. Um, God's turning his face against you because of what your fathers did and grandfathers and your culture, society, your, your people group. No, it's because you're doing the same thing that they did. You, your people has this track record, and now you are doing the very same thing yourself. So you are held responsible. I think we'd like to be, I shared this before, West Side Story, Officer Krupke, when he claims he's only depraved on account of being deprived. It's, it's because of society that you know, he's been deprived, and that's why he's so depraved. It's not his fault. And so we'd like to, to shuffle it off on somebody else. Uh, we, we love to think of grace in personal terms. We love to think of, of rights in personal terms, of exceptions. But we love to think of blame in societal terms. <laughs> it's like, I want the grace. I want my rights. But when it comes to blame, it's kind of everybody's fault. So we see that uh, you're responsible to God for yourself. And for this moment, government's responsible to God. Society's responsible to God. Well, here's what's really interesting is that God is responsible to God. God is bound by his own perfect character. In verse 33 of chapter 20, God says this. He says, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. So as surely as God is alive, God in his holiness is bound to respond to rebellion, and he's going to judge privileged Israel. That's, what's, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, we don't have time really to look at chapter 21, but chapter 21 is all about this very thing where, where God uh, gives this illustration of he's sharpening his sword to, to deal with his people because of their rejection of him. So he's bound to respond to rebellion, and he's also bound by his covenant promises. Even after all his people have done, he says this in verses 40 to 42. It's very incredible. After all this recounting of the cycles of unfaithfulness, which look a lot like uh, our lives a lot of times, he says, verse 40, For on my holy mountain, Mount Zion, the mountain height of Israel declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, verse 41, as a pleasing aroma I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. Even after all the ways that uh, his people turn their backs on him, God says, because I made a promise, I'm going to fulfill it anyway. God binds himself to his own character, to his own promises, because God is, 
it's maybe funny to say, but God is responsible to God. Uh, this this section, um, it may in part talk about the, the return from the exile, but it's obviously talking about something much greater that is yet to happen when God does a, a, an enormous restoration of his people in the land and is, is king over them. What a glorious uh, time that will be. I think it's really good that God is responsible to himself, and I want us to just ponder that for a moment before we end. Uh, God does not take a break from being God. I think if I were God, I would take a break from being God. <laughs> um, I might say something like, these people are ridiculous. I think I'll just be mean today because really now. Or if I were God, maybe I'd say, I know I said I'll keep all those who are my own, but I'm really fed up with this one. I know I said I'll come back and fix everything, but I am so done with this place and these people. But, but God's responsible to himself, so he doesn't take a break from being God, even when we are completely ridiculous. He's bound to his own character. God is responsible to God. So, to conclude, we'll go back to the original issue that was in chapter 18 and uh, the fact that you are only responsible for you and you're only responsible for this moment. So what should be our overwhelming response? What's the overarching uh, um, uh, point or command in this passage? And I think it's in verse 30 and following of chapter 18. Uh, in the middle of verse 30, he says, you know, based on all this, now you're responsible for you. You're responsible for this moment. What should you do? Uh, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest the iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart, a new spirit. Oh, why will you die? In other words, you don't have to do this, <laughs> O house of Israel. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This word, uh, turn or repent earlier, it, it essentially means to go back to the departure point. You go back to where you went wrong. Oh, I see, this is where I deviated from, from God's plan. And I turn my course back. I turn my face toward God. I humble myself before him. I, I, uh, I prostrate before him in my heart and say, Lord, help <laughs> I got way over here, uh, I, I come back. And uh, he is so eager to bring you back. He doesn't say, well, I'm just going to stay against you until you, you know, really feel miserable. He's like, no, he brings you back. Will you uh, potentially experience ongoing residual effects of the decisions you make? Yeah, well, of course, these things. That's, that's kind of how life works. Uh, is God uh, remaining in a posture with his hand against you, chastising? No, no. He brings you back like the, like the father of the prodigal son running towards you. Like, I've been waiting for you to come back. I've been waiting here. Put the ring on him. Put the, put the fancy clothes on him. I've just been waiting for you to come back. 
So the question, is there a mindset, a habit, a recurring sin that you just really know grieves God, but you've kind of been shirking or displacing that blame on somebody else or putting the responsibility on somewhere else? Um, he's like, no, just own it and come back to God. Go back to that point where you deviated from the path. And if we could just push this down to a simple statement, our challenge is in this moment, turn your heart toward God. Let, let today, right now, be that moment where you decide, okay, enough wandering, I come back to God. And he sure loves to bring us back. And for that, I am enormously grateful. Um, the team is going to come up in a moment as we close. And, and after that, uh, as, as typically, we'll have a chance if you'd like to just come and, and pray together. Down at the front, just come forward after, after this song. And perhaps there's, you have another need in your life that we could just uh, bring before the Lord with you. Um, but maybe you need to be praying about this. Maybe God's just nudging you and saying, you know, you're way over here. <laughs> uh, come back. Let, let this be that moment today. Uh, let me pray as the team comes up. Lord God in heaven, I am uh, so thankful that you don't take a break from being God. You keep your promises. You, you keep after us. You are, you are faithful. We can count on you like an unchanging rock. And your holiness, your, your love, your compassion, your 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 sovereignty, all these things. Oh, you're so worthy of our, of our worship. You are a great, great big God, and we love and worship you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is just reaping the, um, reaping the, the mess of, of rejecting you, that they would turn their hearts to you and, uh, and run into the arms of the of the father of the prodigal that's just eager to bring us back, that doesn't want anyone to perish, but wants all to come to repentance. And so we we praise you that you're that kind of God. In Jesus' name, amen.